eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, December 4th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Could be a long December, but there is reason to believe this year will be better than the last. I got a lot of thoughts on Conference Championship Saturday. We're jam-packed, we're high atop a gray, gloomy downtown Nashville, Tennessee, but that's okay, because it's been a happy weekend for some of you. I told you I learned a lot over Conference Championship Saturday. Some of it was about teams. Other parts of that was just about people. I learned a lot about people over the last few days, and I think you have too. We'll talk about it, a lot of reaction. I got college football playoff thoughts. I have got some thoughts on Deion Sanders going to Boulder, Colorado. Who had that put together in the old bingo card five years ago or even five months ago? Also, tomorrow is going to be insane. It is Portal Monday, for lack of a better name that we will eventually arrive at. Tomorrow is going to be crazy. And I'm just going to get you ready for it, and I'm going to give you some names to keep an eye on. I'm going to give you some programs to keep an eye on tomorrow for those unfamiliar, which is basically all of you because this has not happened before in this manner, is the Portal Window opens tomorrow. That's the day that you can officially go into the transfer portal. You've seen a lot of kids indicate they intend to go in. This is when it's going to happen. So we'll get you ready for that. It's going to be a paper pop special, a jam-packed show. Don't skip any parts of this. In San Antonio, Texas, they're watching us tonight. In Knoxville, Tennessee, in Abbeville, Alabama, in Swainsboro, Georgia, in Boise, Idaho, they're watching us. They're listening to us. We thank you guys so much. We are approaching now 160,000 subs. And we're still trying to figure out the prize for 150,000 subs. This week, at some point, I'm going to kind of call it. I'm taking suggestions from you. Who do you want us to collaborate with? Who do you want me to do a special episode with? Because I really... The post-its were on the desk. That's unprofessional. I really want to get this recorded before Christmas. So we're talking about the next few weeks. So let's get a name. There's a whole lot of Joel Klatt out there. Would love that. There's a whole lot of Brandon Walker out there. Would, would despise that. But you know what? It's not up to me. It's up to you. And as I said, Jeff Tedford has been suggested as well. So there are a lot of names out there. Keep them coming, and then we will draw a line and make a conclusion at some point this week. Playoff matchups are set. This morning, a lot of you tuned in. I myself did not because I knew that it was going to take a little while. But eventually, I, like the rest of you, found out who's going to play. Who's the one, the two, the three, the four? Georgia last night, I saw them in Atlanta. I'll talk about that game in a little while. They are the one seed. They are favored by six and a half as it stands right now against Ohio State, the four seed. They're going to play in Atlanta. Georgia just gets to go there at their leisure whenever they want to. And then Michigan, minus nine and a half. That's where the Wolverines open. 
in the Fiesta Bowl against TCU. There's been a lot of old notions shot down as of late. We're going to do a lot of revision on the show tonight, actually, because I, I am of the opinion that when things are said, we shouldn't just forget them. That includes predictions that go wrong. That includes predictions that go right. But do you remember this? Do you remember the whole, the committee will never let the G5 in the playoff? Remember how that all of a sudden went silent this time last year because, oh, I don't know, Cincinnati got put in the playoff. Then the same casuals who told you that told you, well, they're only in there because there were no other options. Yeah, that's kind of always the way it was going to work with the G5, guys. The point is, there was never a barrier. There was just a really, really big hurdle that the G5 had to clear. Well, then, I've heard from the, uh, the Horn Frog Mafia for a long time that you guys thought you got screwed back in 2015. I understand why you feel that way. That's okay. But then separate and apart from that, you also told me, oh, man, they're going to value brands. They're not going to put TCU in. If TCU loses, they're going to be out. They have to be perfect. The bar is infinitely higher for TCU than the brands out there. Well, TCU's in, and they lost yesterday. And not only did they lose and make it in, they didn't even drop to the four seed. So a lot of notions out there that were always garbage. There, there was never truth to them. It's just that you had to make it happen in order for it to happen. All of a sudden, it's happening. And once again, friends... Let's go back. Like I said, a lot of revision tonight. You get told just like I do. Look at this. Look at this defensive posture I'm in. You get told just like I do every spring, every summer, same four teams make it in every year. And yet here we are almost a decade into the playoff era. And once again, we have never had the same four team field duplicated. To this day, the same four teams have never made the playoff in any order. We have never had the same four-team field twice. Those are the lies that they have told you and continue to tell you. Now, let's talk about some lies about Alabama because we're going to have all the time in the world to break down the games. So congrats to Georgia. Talk about them later. Congrats to TCU, Michigan, Ohio State. Hey, we put both of them in the playoff in the preseason, if you'll recall. Now, I had Utah in there too, so let's call that like it is. That's a whiff. But I did have Michigan and Ohio State in the playoff, and a lot of people... Jesse did not rush to my defense. I think Colin may have a little bit, but a lot of people slandered me. said, you idiot, do you realize they play the last game of the year? And I'm like, no, I don't really know college football schedules all that well, guys. It is unfamiliar to me, the concept that rivals play on rivalry weekend. Yeah, I knew all that. I just thought the field was going to be open enough. And it was. As it turns out, they needed some help, did the Buckeyes, but it was open enough still. But we'll talk about all that. But I first want to get to what I am affectionately referring to as the Alabama conundrum. There's a lot of noise, a lot of noise about the Crimson Tide potentially backing into the four-team playoff once TCU lost yesterday. And I was of the opinion that short of a blowout loss, that wasn't going to happen. And to be clear now, once I saw them lose, them being TCU, and still get put at number three, I'm not sure how big that margin of defeat was going to have to be to put Bama in. But nevertheless, there I am leaving Mercedes-Benz Stadium last night. And the eye josh starts blowing up. And people keep telling me, can you believe what Nick Saban's doing? And I'm like, what? Watching TV like the rest of us at home because he's not playing today? No, 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 no. Can you believe what he just said on Fox? And I'm like, on Fox? What? And then I remembered Nick Saban can do anything he wants to, and he can probably appear on any screen he wants to at any time. And there he was, Nick Saban, lobbying, pleading on behalf of his team to get one more shot. Give us one more shot. And he did what I never thought I'd hear Nick Saban do, and I wish a lot of you wouldn't do, and that is talk about hypothetical point spreads. He went down that road, 
in fairness, he went down that road because there's no other road for him to go down. He lost two games. They don't have any really, really phenomenal wins on the resume. So Nick Saban was out of cards. He had a, he had a handful of cards, and it dwindled to one, and that one card was, well, would be favored. Kind of like we were against Tennessee and lost. Kind of like we were against LSU and lost. Yeah, we'd be favored. Yeah, you would. And it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not giving Nick Saban a pass. It was pretty weak to hear from Nick Saban. But I will level with you. I think he knows that's BS. Okay, I think Nick Saban understands. Once that camera shut off, once that, once that producer in Nick Saban's ear said, all right, we're clear. Thanks, coach. And he knew he was off the air. He probably went to take a shower because he felt gross having to ask the committee rhetorically, would we be favored or would we be an underdog? He knows how ridiculous that is. He didn't have any other card to play. That's Nick Saban. A lot of other people don't know better. And a lot of other people were really coming at me with that this morning and this afternoon. Well, who's the better team, Josh? Not, not who's most deserving. The committee's supposed to put in the best team, not the most deserving team. What's the difference? As it relates to the playoff in best team and most deserving team. I really don't think people know what they're asking for. I truly don't. This is why, as I tweeted out earlier, I regret the day that the concept of power ratings and the concept of odds making and hypothetical neutral field matchups ever went mainstream. Because it's like, you know, it's like putting sugar in the hands of a small child. They don't know how to handle it. And it's like putting information in the hands of very reckless and agenda-driven people. They don't know how to handle it. I got folks coming at me saying because Bama would be favored over Michigan, who they probably would, Bama would be favored easily over TCU, which they would, that, that means they belong in over them. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Here's what you're suggesting, by the way, because I got news for you. If Bama lost a third game, they'd still be favored over TCU, guys. What, do you just think that they should continue losing and losing and losing and because they'd be favored over at least one of the 14 participants, they should be in? Is that how you think that should work? Nobody out there is that dumb. There's no way you seriously think like that. And you're talking to someone here who doesn't even acknowledge the AP poll, who only traffics in power ratings. But I also clearly draw the line, not in pencil, but in pen. And I tell you, these are power ratings. These are for entertainment purposes only, in no shape, form, or fashion. Should you think this is how I believe the college football playoff committee should rank teams? because we play the games for a reason. This stuff right here, paper, is just that. I want you to watch something. Let's do a little exercise here, okay? Colin, just stay with me. I'm going to do something. I'm gonna do something on this piece of paper right now. I'm gonna put Bama minus 10, okay? They're favored on the piece of paper. Now watch what happens. Did you see how easy that was? Just, just like LSU made it look pretty easy, just like Tennessee made it look pretty easy, and it doesn't matter if you'd be favored. So that's one point I wanted to make. The other point I wanted to make is that November did the job for you again. Do you remember a month ago? Time for some more revision. Do you remember a month ago, there was this one Monday where pretty much everyone's take in the entire college football public was, oh my goodness, we're not gonna have enough playoff spots. Is this the year? that we run out of playoff spots? Is this, is this the year where we needed to expand the playoff? Because we had so many teams undefeated or with one loss, and it looked like we were headed for just utter and total chaos. And I bravely came on this show, and I said, let's just let it play out. November's a very long month. I know it only looks like four weeks on the calendar, but buddy, 
there are a lot of programs out there posing as playoff contenders who don't have enough gas in the tank. And we really quickly went from we're not going to have enough playoff spots to might we have a couple too many playoff spots again? And the answer is yes, we did. Another perfect year where the BCS would have solved the problem for you. And the thing you started arguing about in the end was whether one pretty flawed team should make it in over another pretty flawed team. Now, for those of you who favor expansion, this makes no sense to you. Hit the mute button for about the next 10 seconds. But for those of us who believe the bar should be incredibly high to play for the highest honor in the sport, we don't mind that some people are mad at the end of the year. I remember thinking that back when they first instituted the idea, the mere concept of a playoff period. It seemed like the reason they were implementing it is because some people got mad. And I thought to myself, that's not the worst thing in the world. People being mad is not the worst thing in the world. Well, to some folks it was. Yeah, November, you know, Meemaw used to say all the time, do not be filling out your postseason bracket before you have filled your Halloween candy bag. Do not start making conclusions on the playoff before you've even gotten into November. November makes cowards of a lot of people. November makes pretenders of a lot of programs, and it did this year again. So, where do we head now? Well, we're headed, obviously, to a playoff game. I will be listening to your suggestions as to which playoff game we should go to. One of them is in Atlanta. Nice short drive, down 24 to 75 for us. I just made it last night. Or we could fly to the desert, and we could go watch Michigan TCU. We got a little while to decide. The other thing that Jesse walks up to me, welcome back producer Jesse. He said to me today, I've got a graphic for you if you want it. I said, that's interesting, what's on it? And he said, it's what a 12 team playoff field would look shh. Don't finish that sentence, Jesse. And I want you to take that graphic and I want you to hit delete and then don't come to me with that anymore. Jesse's just doing his job. I'm just doing my job. We will not be showing you any hypothetical 12-team playoff graphics here until we absolutely have to. Translation, until it's not hypothetical anymore, until we actually get to that godforsaken format in 2024. Clemson, shame on you. You had the world at your fingertips and you screwed it up. Bama, shame on you. You put the committee in position where they could keep you out. Not the other way. They didn't keep you out. You kept yourself out. Penn State. Although they play great football in the back half of the season, I keep thinking to myself, that Ohio State game got really lopsided really quickly, and it was competitive until it wasn't. And that's, that's a game where JT Tuomaloao kind of took it over, but I keep thinking back, as we always do, what could have changed? One or two plays, what could have been the difference? But I especially think about Tennessee, and I especially think about Clemson, and I think about Shane Beamer and how he was the wrecking ball. He Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks, not even in October, mind you, were the chaos agents in the college football playoff mix. And that, my friends, is one of many reasons why it's every given Saturday in this sport. Not any, every given Saturday. Because there's not a single Saturday, if you go back and trace the lineage of this season, where there weren't multiple things that happened that ultimately impacted what we came to know as the 14 college football playoff field this year. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Colin, I texted you a picture like three hours ago. Did you get it? It's from last night. Okay, good. We got it. All right. So sometimes things just happen. Sometimes God's looking out for you. And last night was one of those nights. So we're at the SEC championship game, obviously. Blowout win for Georgia. I'm going to talk about it in about two or three minutes. Academy Sports and Outdoors, once again, our full and exclusive partner, helps us go on the road, helps us do everything that we want to do. But you see, Academy also happens to sponsor the SEC championship game. So I'm on the field last night doing some coverage for CBS with Dennis Dodd and with Barrett Salee. And all of a sudden, in that, in that halo ribbon board they have high above the field in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, wouldn't you know it, the same exact logo we have in our monitor behind me is the logo that they're showing up above the field. And Colin's got the picture. Look at that. Look at that. Some of you are not believers, and that's fine. But I see divinity in this picture. Look at, uh, some of you are listening on podcasts, and I apologize. Let me describe what you're seeing. Appropriately, almost a halo-shaped ribbon board above our heads in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, featuring the Academy Sports and Outdoors logo. And I am not even aware that this is happening because we're on air live. But it is happening. And it happened all year for us, thanks to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now, a lot of things were about to happen for you. Some of you are going to be heroic parents over the next few weeks because you make the wise and sage decision to go to Academy Sports and Outdoors for all your Christmas needs. we got a Christmas tree in the office, by the way. That's a new touch that someone put in over the weekend. And some of you are going to make the misguided Decision not to go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. This is America. It's your right. But please don't be that guy. Please don't be that girl. Please don't be that mom or dad. Make the right decision. Go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. They've got everything that Johnny and Cynthia need, and then some. And might I suggest they got some things you need too. And if you can't get there in person, that's fine because the USPS and FedEx and UPS and everything in between is right there at your disposal when you go to academy.com. You get it shipped right to your door, no problem. You don't even have to tell them I sent you. They already know because our audience has come through big time for us this year. And they have too. Thank you to Academy Sports and Outdoors. All right. Let's talk about it. I had, I had so many people as we do watching the show now. Please like the video if you haven't already. I had so many people last night ask me, is this a Sarah McLaughlin special? <sighs> yes, it was. Georgia 50, LSU 30. It was indeed a Sarah McLaughlin special. If you're new to the show, even if you are, if you've ever seen those pet abuse commercials, I kind of think you understand what a Sarah McLaughlin special is. Just sad, somber music, reflective music. If we had the rights to it, I would play it right now. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong in the first half for LSU. Probably wouldn't have mattered, but it did matter. I mean, shockingly, LSU outgained Georgia in this game and still lost by 20. 50 points is the most ever scored 
by the Eastern Division team in an SEC championship game. I got a padlock stat for you real quick, and then I got several points to make. Rushing yardage. I show up to your door Friday. Hello. I have a stat for you for tomorrow's game. 274 to 47, Georgia will outrush LSU. You leave that conversation knowing Georgia's going to win the SEC championship. That's what a padlock stat is. Why is this a big deal? I can't believe I'm asking the question, but I have to. Somebody told me this game was meaningless. You know, someone out there, casual in nature though they are, somebody told me this game's meaningless. Someone in my family, by the way, told me this game was meaningless. I asked why, and they said, well, LSU couldn't make the playoff regardless, and Georgia could make the playoff regardless. Shh, again. That's how we're handling casuals in 2023. Don't make physical contact. That's a lawsuit. But come as close as you can with your index finger to those lips and just shh. It's Saturday. It's the first Saturday in December. It's time to talk about the SEC championship, not the playoff. And see, here is one misnomer. As we were walking on the field after the game, I had someone who works at the stadium say, man, this is kind of getting old hat for Georgia, isn't it? I said, what, what's that? SEC championship, man, they, they seem to win it every year. They haven't won it since 2017. What are we even talking about right now? This is not old hat at all. The last time they won the SEC championship was the same year, by the way, that they ended up getting beat by Tua in the national title. That's a little while ago, just as a frame of reference there. This team hasn't done this in a while. They've gotten there a couple of times. They haven't won it since 2017. You know why? Because it's hard to win it which makes it a meaningful game, not a meaningless game. Don't let people who think the sport begins and ends with the playoff tell you otherwise. That's a big deal. Secondly, I want to talk to you about Stetson Bennett. I have, I have long since apologized for my stance on Stetson Bennett, and I'm not going to sit here and continue beating myself over the head about this. I want to talk to you about a calendar, and I want you to flip it back to last year. You watched Stetson Bennett last night, player of the game, but I want you to flip back to last year. I'll tell you why this game's so important. How well do you remember last Christmas, last December? How well do you remember it? If you live in the state of Georgia especially, how well do you remember it? Because there's a little revisionist history going on that suggests, oh, Stetson Bennett's been rolling with that team. No, he hadn't. No, he hadn't. This time last year, they were licking their wounds because they had gotten beat by Alabama soundly. And the talking point was not only we got little shot now that we can't beat Alabama. This time last year, Georgia had just gotten beaten soundly by Bama in the SEC championship game, and the rest of December, the entire month, was spent around the state of Georgia and the Georgia fan base asking, is Kirby Smart going to start JT Daniels in the playoff? Because if he doesn't, we have no shot. We've seen what Stetson can do. He's not good enough. we got to try it with JT Daniels. Kirby never flinched, to his credit, because he knew what he had in both guys. And he knew that one game does not define a guy. Sure enough, they played the exact same team a month later. And largely because of Stetson Bennett, they won that game. But see, people forget that. People, a lot of his harshest critics, they've forgotten that now. I swear to you, I count dozens of people who are praising him now and, and dare to wag their finger at anyone who doesn't praise him who were counting him out and who were touting JT Daniels as the guy who should start in the playoff for Georgia last year. People forget it because they're winning now, and they've already won a national championship, and they're the favorite to win another one. It hasn't been that way. It hasn't been easy at all. This hasn't been smooth sailing. It was extremely rocky just one calendar year ago. So that's why it's a big deal. They won the SEC. Stetson Bennett did it. 
and now they're the favorite in the playoff, it hasn't been smooth. Uh, it's been very, very bumpy. Now, the other thing to keep in mind as you're looking at this and you take away with every other game that you watch is when teams win a national title, naturally there's, there's a big spotlight on them. And I think I heard a lot over this summer, I heard a lot of notions about how Georgia wasn't going to be able to do fill-in-the-blank this year and how they lost a lot of guys to the draft and Alabama was going to be really good. And, and I believe Bama was going to be the best team in the conference. But I, I certainly remember Georgia losing a lot of guys in the draft, but I remember people just making these definitive statements. And you got to be careful with the definitives because you get fooled into thinking because a team is not as good as last year in your mind, that means they can't accomplish the same end result that that team did. But that's only true if they don't measure up to the other teams around them. It's not about whether Georgia's as good as they were last year. It's about whether they're better than all the other teams around them in calendar year 2022. This year they have been. You could argue that's because of the sports down or whatever you want to. That's not their fault. They're just playing their best ball right now, and they are reaping the rewards. They're a one seed yet again. But spring and summer benefited them greatly, and I'm going to tell you why. You're supposed to be dealing with a lot of complacency right now. Georgia's not supposed to be in the position they're in. You're supposed to be dealing with guys struggling to rev their engines internally to the degree they did a year ago. You're supposed to be struggling maybe even with parts of your staff, and you're supposed to be struggling with folks being fat and happy because they did something they hadn't done in a couple of generations, and they're not dealing with it. Georgia's not dealing with it, at least to the degree that we can see. I'm not saying there haven't been days where Kirby's not had to jump down someone's throat for it. I'm saying, on the whole, that program looks every bit as hungry as they did last year. And I'll tell you two reasons I think have contributed to that. Number one, they lost so many guys, something that people told you would make them weaker. They lost so many guys to the draft. A lot of the ones you see playing critical roles for this team now were not starters last year. Therefore, they don't have the sense of entitlement that typically would come if you had already started and won a title. A lot of these guys have had it preached to them over and over again, you haven't proven a thing. And that's true. That's not a mind game. The other thing is there was so much going on off the field in college football in the winter and spring and summer, no one had time to talk about Georgia. I mentioned this over the summer. said, for a team that just won a title for the first time in 40 years, there sure hadn't been a lot of talk about him on this show or, or elsewhere. And it wasn't because they're a no-name team. It's just because so much was happening. Playoff talk, portal talk, NIL talk. The sport seemed to blow up every week. Georgia kind of flew under the radar. So they didn't get praised like you normally would. They don't have a huge chunk of a returning national championship team like you normally would. There's very little complacency. They just haven't had to deal with it. And it's refreshing to see. I guarantee you Kirby Smart loves it. Some thoughts on LSU here right quick. I think last night's going to pay dividends and pay dividends immediately because I think you finally saw what a lot of us speculated you may have in Garrett Nussmeyer. I'm one who thought he may start for them from the opening gun. It ended up being Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels had a great year for them. They're in the SEC championship game in large part because of him. But last night you saw Garrett Nussmeyer get pressed into action. Now I understand it's, it's a big difference when you face a team and you're already trailing and you're in nothing to lose, just throw it against the wall mentality and that team hasn't prepared for you, I understand there's a difference between that and being the full-time starting quarterback. I think Garrett Nussmeyer is fully capable of being the full-time starting quarterback at LSU. Now we enter a very critical stretch because there is, there's a lot of division 
not toxic division, but there's a lot of healthy division amongst LSU fans as to what they think is going to happen. Some people thought Nussmeyer was going to go in the portal because up until last night, it kind of looked like Jaden Daniels' team, and then surely he'll be the starter next year. And now all of a sudden you see what Nussmeyer can do, and you're like, wait, if we build the offense around him, if we fortify the offensive line, which is priority A, if we continue to build at the running back and receiver positions and we got Nussmeyer back there, might our ceiling be higher with him? I think the answer is yes. Like, I'm of that opinion. Without having to knock Jaden Daniels, I'm of that opinion. Well, you know the transfer portal window opens tomorrow. And that's what you have to keep an eye on. No one knows what's going to happen here. I don't even think the LSU staff has a firm grip on what's going to happen here. Selfishly, I want to see what he can do. I want to see what Garrett Nussmeyer can do in an entire season down there. And I also think that if you were to, if you were to take that film, if you're Brian Kelly and, and Mike Denbrock and that staff, and you're to say, this is the future of LSU football. Next year and the year after, this is the future. Boy, I can go fishing for some big perimeter skill talent in the transfer portal. And I've got a really good recruiting class coming in. I'm not saying the portal's the end-all, be-all. I think you can... You can be right back in the conversation again next year and years to come. This was ahead of schedule. It just so happened the West was a little bit down, and LSU was opportunistic enough to beat Alabama, and good for them. It's not, it's not a bad thing they got blown out. It's a good thing they were there to begin with, and they got to experience that. Uh, good things coming for LSU. I just, I'm very curious how that quarterback situation is going to play out. All right, let's take a sip from the chalice. Mmm. Tastes like a Clemson ACC championship there. Uh, make sure if you're here, do me a favor, like the video and subscribe to the channel. And remember, a lot of you have tuned in for the first time this year. In fact, hundreds of thousands of you have tuned in for the first time this year. Thank you. Sometimes I take it for granted you know what this show is about. We are 365 days a year, nothing but college football. We don't take off-seasons. We don't even say the word off-season out loud. We refuse to do it. So, if you think that we're approaching the finish line and we're going to get past the national title game and then you won't have any more college football coverage in your feed, good news! You're dead wrong. In fact, we have as fun with our format in what the casuals would call the off-season, as we do during the season. So don't go anywhere. And make sure you're subscribed, is my point, and tell your friends as well. Make sure you get that word out. We do this thing all year. We don't, we don't have seasons around here. Okay. Clemson 39, North Carolina 10. This was them. This was the Clemson that I thought may somewhere deep down inside exist. And we finally saw it. And who was leading the charge? DJ Uyen. No, no, no. It was Cade Klubnik. More on him in just a second. This is the seventh ACC championship in the last eight years for Clemson. Here's a little stat. They've won their last five conference titles by at least 24 points. Not an overly entertaining product that's been put on display in Charlotte when the Tigers have won this thing, but they have won it nonetheless. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 22. Parity has not come to the ACC quite yet. Here's a padlock stat, though, defensively. I know everyone's talking about Cade Klubnik. And I, I am about to as well. Trust me, I'm about to as well. But you want a padlock stat here. I can't give you one. But if you want padlock stats, plural, I can give you one. It's called the Clemson defense. 
and they scored themselves a touchdown. They forced themselves three turnovers. They recorded four sacks. They had eight quarterback hurries. They had seven tackles for loss. That is assault, legal in nature, and they did it all night long, immunity, to North Carolina. I've got to tell you something before I get into the true crux of this game. Surely, Cade Klubnik is the story of this game, and he went 20 of 24, uh, had 274 passing yards, he had 30 on the ground, and some of you out there may not have watched Clemson a lot this year, and you're wondering, even this late, you may be wondering, who's Cade Klubnik? That's okay. Not everyone has time to watch every one of these games. Cade Klubnik, to remind you, was a five-star quarterback. He's a true freshman. We talked about him a lot this time last year because he was committed to Clemson. And the question, after DJ even struggled last year, was could he start as a true freshman? It was the entire focal point of our spring and summer coverage of Clemson. I, I went on the record pretty emphatically and told you, if they are going to win the ACC, it's going to be because he is starting. It did not play out like I thought it would, because I thought Clemson winning the ACC was also going to be tantamount to them punching their ticket to the playoff. They waited too late to make the switch. I don't know how else to put it, guys. I am very, very against questioning play calling or personnel decisions, but I feel pretty comfortable telling you they cost themselves an opportunity to win the conference and then some in the playoff by playing the second-best quarterback on the roster. And I think if you didn't watch last night and come to that conclusion, we just disagree. Cade Klubnik's been the best quarterback, and not, not the best from a skill level. I mean, he's been the most equipped. He's given them a better shot to win than DJ for quite a while now. Having said that, there's a loyalty factor. Um, I... I understand on the surface why Dabo made the decisions he did. I don't agree with them. I'll put it that way. Now, while he goes into the game, and he goes 20 of 24, and he didn't start, by the way. He got put in the game when they started slow. Mac Brown and his team had a decision to make during the week leading up to this game. They had a decision to make. How were they going to prepare for Clemson? And... I don't know that I've heard a more stunning soundbite from a head coach after a game in quite a while. Maybe it's just because the rest of them aren't honest, and Mac Brown is, but Mac Brown was, was brutally honest to the point of being regrettably honest last night in the postgame. So to tee it up before we show you this quote, and I'm going to read it for you if you're on podcast, Mac Brown got asked, how did you guys prepare, or did you guys prepare for Cade Klubnik. Now, mind you, Klubnik's been in games already this year, and the talk around Clemson all week was about whether he was going to play. Okay, so forget about coaches. Forget about insiders. This is mainstream conversation around the program all week. Are we going to see Cade Saturday? He gives us our best chance to win, blah, blah, blah. With that as the backdrop, Mac Brown got asked, did you guys prepare for him? Listen to this. No was his answer. He didn't beat around the bush. No, we didn't prepare for the backup quarterback. Cade had played very little all year. When he went in at Notre Dame, I think he threw an interception. So we totally thought we would see DJ because they hadn't changed all year. We stopped them the first two times. DJ was struggling. That's exactly what we thought would happen and hope would happen because he's played good at times, but he didn't play well last week, and he was really struggling. He's talking about DJ. They weren't trying to run the ball. We thought they would try to line up and run the ball like Notre Dame did. 
But then Cade came in and hit 20 of 24 and 10 of 11 in the first half and really played great. If my head coach said that, I would accuse him of a dereliction of duty to the football program. He's not paid to coach my team, among other things. Mac Brown does not teach a full course load. He doesn't act as a PE teacher in Chapel Hill and then coach football after 3.30 in the afternoon. That's his job. That's his staff's job. I didn't prepare for the backup quarterback is ridiculous on the surface. I didn't prepare for the backup quarterback who the entire world's been talking about playing this Saturday is egregious. That is a dereliction of your duty as the head football coach of a program. It's a pathetic statement. I love Mac Brown. That's a pathetic statement to say. That's one, as much as I appreciate honesty, I would much rather you just keep to yourself. I'd much rather hear that five or 10 years from now when a staffer who was there at the time tells me, you know, we didn't, um, we didn't even prepare for Cade that game. That's why we look so bad. Okay, fun little anecdote at a clinic five years from now. I don't want to be hearing that from my head coach the day after the game. Wolf. Uh, at the same time, good year for North Carolina. Okay, I think they improved on last year. It's not a program that's in a bad place. It's an interesting program at a crossroads, I think. And part of that is because a lot of the rumors that will surround Drake May are not going to go away until he makes a definitive statement about the portal and whether he's going to leave or not. But they go 9-4 and four this year. So I know it ended with a thud yesterday, but good year for them. I, I completely think it's right to question Dabo Swinney here and the way he handled his quarterbacks. But yesterday is yesterday. Today and moving forward. As I told you last week, I think they'll do a healthy inventory of their team. I think they'll make some changes. Don't know what they'll be yet, but here's where I'm most interested. Dabo has been reluctant to dive into the portal. But if I take that game film yesterday, I said the same thing about Garrett Nussmeyer at LSU. If I take that game film and I show you what Cade Klubnick can do, and I guarantee you he's here next year, I can go get some big-time receiver talent which they used to have and win with and they don't have and they're not winning with right now. And I know that Clemson hasn't been a player in the portal. Maybe Clemson will be a player in the portal. Um, we'll see. That, that is one of many things to pay attention to. It's going to start tomorrow, but it's going to go on for 45 days. So let's just see. The Tigers are kind of on the outside looking in. They're not going to be at the forefront of these conversations. They're absolutely a program I'm keeping an eye on. Some added takeaways here from what was um, an interesting conference championship a couple of days. Michigan beat Purdue last night 43-22. to I felt that they had downhill momentum. I felt like they could turn it on at any point they wanted to against Purdue. They did. They won comfortably. They covered. They've got 25 wins the past two years. That is the most in a two-year stretch in the history of Michigan football. They got outgained. Didn't matter. And so Donovan Edwards, remember Blake Corum's out for the year now. Donovan Edwards had 185 yards. Uh, not a lot to say about this game. I think there's a lot to say about Michigan now being in the best position they will have been in this millennium to potentially win a national championship. Because they're going to go in here and they're going to be favored against TCU. And we'll pick that game when it's time to pick it. But J.J. McCarthy's playing well. Uh, this team, especially now that everyone has a chance to get healthy, you expect the best version of them that you will have gotten all year. It's a, it's a healthy challenge for them, just like last night was. But their biggest game was a week ago, and then the remainder of their biggest challenges lie ahead. I'm very, very interested 
offensively to see how they go about things against TCU. Speaking of TCU, they fell yesterday to Kansas State 31-28. I was right. It wasn't hard to see coming. But this was the game of the week. The Big 12 Championship will always deliver. Did you notice? This is the second consecutive year that game has essentially come down to a goal line stand. Last year it was Baylor. This year it was Kansas State. And for the second year in a row, I am huddled at the SEC Championship game around a monitor with everyone. And folks are just going crazy. They're living and dying with every single play. I mean, again... If you're calling me and you claim to be my friend and it is 7.38 p.m. on a Sunday night, are you really my friend? Do you really not know where I am right now? Uh, we move on. Kansas State wanted another crack at them so bad. I mean, I was, I was out in Manhattan after they had already played that game. And it wasn't disrespectful. It was far from that. It was just when I was around that staff and that team, I got a sense that they would give anything. They would give their right arm to have another crack at TCU because of the way that first game went down, and they got it, and they trailed at the half, and they didn't allow themselves to get boat raced. Remember, TCU went on a 28-0 run to end the game that first time around. It did not happen here. Now, the padlock stat, very, very clear. TCU held to 2 of 15 on third down. Boom, padlock stat, end of story. But in the meantime, Max Duggan, in a loss, Max Duggan, TCU quarterback, First player with 250 passing yards and 100 rushing yards in a conference title game since Deshaun Watson at Clemson. Max Duggan had a Heisman Trophy-worthy season this year. We'll see how that award is voted on, how it shakes out. I've got some friends. I'm going to clap for you guys. Congratulations. Freshly minted Heisman voters. I myself am not. I'm, I'm not quite enough into this college football thing to get a Heisman vote, but I'm not bitter. Far be it for me to be bitter. I'm much more likely to just start my own award over here, but congrats to our newly minted Heisman voters. Let's go to Friday night. What'd you think about USC Utah? Once Caleb Williams got hurt, I think we played an entirely new game. But the way that you have to be careful about this is you got to be careful in how you talk about it. Look at Jesse slinging it at quarterback there for Utah. You got to be careful because it sounds like you're discounting Utah when you talk about quarterback injury for USC. I don't want to do that at all because a healthy Caleb Williams lost to Utah earlier in the year. So it's not like I'm telling you it was solely because of one thing. But I also think we need to acknowledge USC started extremely fast. Uh, I guarantee you there are a lot of you who thought they were about to run away with that game when you watched the way it started. Lincoln-Riley teams have started fast and finished slow in the past. So there are things we simply can't know. I cannot tell you how the game would have gone if Caleb Williams remained 100%. So what I can tell you is Utah is one of the best stories in college football. They have been for a while. Kyle Whittingham is one of the best coaches in college football. He has been for a while. Selfishly, close your eyes in Salt Lake City. Close your ears in Salt Lake City. I've wanted to see him take a bigger job. Or either I've wanted to see the sport evolve to where they could get more premier talent to Salt Lake City so that if they were to have runs like this, they didn't fall three times during the season. They lost three times this year, and it cost them a shot. I thought they were going to go to the playoff. I picked them to go to the playoff. They're a good team. It's just you put a lower ceiling on yourself. You've got to play B-plus or better football more often the lesser your talent level. Recruiting's not everything. Even talent is not everything. 
You can get by with a lesser caliber roster, but single injuries have a more critical impact, and you have to play collectively at a higher level. And it's hard to do it for 12 weeks. It just is. But when you do it any one given week, you're capable of making anyone look foolish. The second half rushing statistics in this game are only possible in college football because they count sack yardage as rushing yardage. And that is why Utah outrushed USC 137 to negative 34 in the second half. Around here we call that a padlock stat. Beware, though, of the recalibration of expectations. Beware of that, because it's happening with USC. It's happening because a lot of folks hate USC, and therefore they take pleasure in watching Lincoln Riley tote one in the last game of the season. Lincoln Riley's in a game he had no business being in. USC was in a game they had no business being in. By any commonsensical metric, there's no way he should have been able to do that in year one, but he did. Well, what happens is once people realize, whoa, you're way better than I thought you were going to be, they forget about what they thought you were going to be, and then it's almost like they hit the reset button, usually around the 1st of November, and they decide, okay, I've got a fresh set of expectations for you that's based on what you've shown me this year, now you're going to have to play based on those expectations, and therefore, starting in November, everyone all of a sudden made USC the overwhelming favorite to win the Pac-12, so the fact that they didn't means they failed, they underachieved. No, that's not the way this works. You don't get to do that. You, you, don't, you don't get to judge someone in your preview magazine season, and then they make you look dumb, so then you recalibrate your expectation to an untenable level for them, or an unrealistic one. They don't match up with that, and then... You call them the failure. No, they proved to you that you're the failure. And that's what USC did this year. But they're a very polarizing program. Lincoln Riley is a polarizing head coach. And I get why people took delight in watching Utah slay Goliath. I don't think they're a Goliath yet. But they're going to be a beast moving forward. USC, once they fortify lines of scrimmage, which I think will be a priority here, and once, look, I, I think a lot of you have healthy doubts about Alex Grinch defensively. I think they'll be better than what they were and what they just showed. I thought Caleb Williams played great all year. I, you could easily cast your vote for him for Heisman still. Um, it's a shame that he got hurt because they were training headlong towards a playoff spot. And we were going to get to see Caleb Williams. You know, another reason, I'm not here to relitigate the playoff expansion thing, but seriously, one of the reasons that I think it's ludicrous to expand the playoff is because the whole risk of player injury is so real. Think about how different things are with Caleb Williams. Okay, and then they're going back and forth in that game. You got players dropping like flies, and you're entering in a world, into a world where if they were to have somehow won that game, you're gonna ask them to win three more games. You're gonna ask some of these teams to win two or three more games. You're gonna ask them to play and practice for another month which, by the way, stretches to January 20th. That's, that's not a made-up date. That's when the national title game will be played under the new format, first time. January 20th. You start in August. You go all the way August. Um, and really, you've been doing stuff all summer, too. But August officially is when you start practice. September, October, November, December is when you end your regular season. Then you start the playoff before Christmas. And then it goes all the way to January 20th. If you're a player with NFL aspirations, you could have played 17 games, go straight to the Senior Bowl maybe, which is the first week of February. If you don't do that, you go straight into Combine, and you have gone and gone and gone, 
and completely zapped your body, in some cases for very little money, and what's the incentive? Right now it's to win a national championship. Hopefully it's always thought of to be as valuable to players as it is to us. Fingers crossed. Um, John Summerall and Troy won the Sun Belt in year one. I don't want to overlook that. Kane Womack down at South Alabama and John Summerall, heck of a job. Both of them in year one, respectively, at those programs. A combined, I think, 21 wins this year just for those two. And Tulane brings home the conference championship against UCF. And I was down in New Orleans a month ago, and I watched that game. And Gus Malzahn and UCF comfortably won that thing. So Willie Fritz, what a week it's been for Willie Fritz. They win the conference title. And let me tell you something. There is a misnomer out there that Willie Fritz didn't get the Georgia Tech job because Georgia Tech would not offer enough money. That's not what happened. Georgia Tech wouldn't wait on Willie Fritz to coach a conference title game. They were in too big a hurry, so they hired Brent Key. Congrats to Brent Key. Got no problem with Brent Key. I'm just saying, understand, they just won a conference title, and that head coach, Willie Fritz, forewent an opportunity to grab a bigger job because of the commitment he had to that team. So there's a lot to be celebrated down in New Orleans because I think he made the right call. I don't know if Georgia Tech made the right call, but congratulations to the Green Wave because this is not a situation that many of us thought they would be in a month ago. All right, let's talk about the news of the, um, seemingly like the news of the, the, the season. At the very least, it's the news of the weekend. Interested to see the comment section on this one. Deion Sanders is now the head coach at Colorado. I know it's a shocking headline if you just woke up from your cryogenically frozen state. Why ever you were in that for the past three or four years, I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying, welcome back. Deion Sanders is the head coach at Colorado. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I really want to, what do you think? So I'm looking at the live chat over here. I've seen a lot of comments. I'll read the comment section. What do we think? I, I think that this was coming and most of us sensed it. There have been visceral reactions both ways towards this. How bad has Colorado been, though? I know, I know a lot of you are older, and you remember a time where Colorado was a serious national player. Some of you were in high school or college, and you have no clue what I'm talking about. And if you're of that age, you've seen them obviously go 1-11 this year. They finished last in the Pac-12. They have two winning seasons since joining the Pac-12, which was all the way back in 2011. Two winning seasons. They just lost double-digit games for the fourth time since 2010. They have eight bowl games this millennium. They're one in seven in those bowl appearances. They have never finished higher than 35th in the recruiting rankings in the modern era. And that was in 2017. Deion Sanders is a sellout, is what I got told today. This one took me by surprise a little bit. People told me that folks were going to be mad at this. I didn't really know how mad people were going to be. And I don't really care what reasons you have for being mad. But let me, let me just respond to it, and I'll try not to get worked up. I need a blank piece of paper for this, actually. Second prop of the show. Someone told me today with a straight face. I mean, someone, someone told me today with a serious face, Deion Sanders is a sellout for taking the Colorado job. Why is he a sellout? Well, he took the money. He left those kids behind. He lured them. He convinced them to come to Jackson State and then left them behind. Um, convincing, by the way, only happens when you're talking to someone who has a choice. 
So all those kids had a choice to go to Jackson State. In fairness, just like they have a choice now to leave if they so choose. I got a list here in my hand of all the people that are calling Deion Sanders a sellout that have turned down 2,000% raises and definitively better jobs recently. It's a blank sheet of paper. No one does it because all you fools are hypocrites. It's a sellout. The ones who call folks like Deion Sanders a sellout are the ones who never, and they know, they'll never have that option. You'll never have that kind of life-changing money put in front of you. The dude is making 300 grand a year. Now, Deion Sanders is not hurting for money, but it's the principle of the thing. He was making 300 grand a year at Jackson State. Good money to coach there. He's about to make about six a year, five to six million dollars a year. And he will essentially be able to run the football program and he knows that he can get kids to portal out there and it's a program where there's nowhere to go but up. Every one of you makes this decision. Every single one of you. The other day I had someone who wasn't being foolish. They were being respectful, but they were asking, do you think that he's leaving too soon because he promised to do certain things for Jackson State, which he still is. Like he's still funding facility enhancements there now. But their point was, he promised to bring relevance to historically black colleges. He promised to fulfill certain things at Jackson State and he hasn't. And he promised to bring more attention. That was the wording that was used and he hasn't. And I'm like, what are we, what are we watching? Because I remember, and I took you back to last signing day, when they got Travis Hunter out of nowhere. And I remember sitting there down in Fort Lauderdale, like I told you the other day. I mean, we were on air at 1 o'clock. We had already been on air several hours. A&M's in the process of loading up on a historic recruiting class. We had talked more about Jackson State than we had Texas A&M. On the day where A&M was landing that class. He, he got... He got seven former four- and five-star recruits to Jackson State on the roster right now. They may not all be there tomorrow. He made a huge difference. He brought college game day to Jackson State. Like, that stuff's not happening otherwise. So, I, I seriously ask this, and maybe I'm wrong here. Are there a lot of people who thought Deion Sanders was going to go to Jackson State and stay there a decade? If he had options to leave and go to a bona fide Power 5 program, even Colorado. Did people think that? I just never thought that. Like, I always thought this was where his head was at. And it's a mutual trade-off. You got certain things from him. He got certain things from you. That's the way it works. Hey, that's the way it'll work for Colorado, too. I'm not saying Mike Norvell's in any hot water whatsoever. I'm just saying if that Florida State job were to come open or, or any of maybe a dozen other jobs down the road that are more high-profile in nature than Colorado, he'll be headed there. This is called progression. This is called natural elevation. This is how you work your way up the rungs of the ladder. Now, Deion Sanders is Deion Sanders, so he can afford to do it in a little more unconventional of manner. But this is how you do it. And I, I think that this announcement, by the way, has to go hand in hand with what's going to happen tomorrow. And I'm going to talk about it more in a second. But tomorrow is when the transfer portal window opens up. We're going to find out how many of those kids are going to follow him to Colorado, how many kids who aren't at Jackson State are going to choose to go to Colorado. It's going to be a big, big story to watch. I mean, they could just radically overhaul and recreate a program overnight, seemingly. Colorado probably going to be a lot better on the field by default next year at the very least. Speaking of that, we are, so right now, I assume it counts on the East Coast. So we're like four hours away from history. 
The transfer portal window opens Monday, 12.01 a.m. It's open. That window begins. Let me tell you what's about to happen. No one's prepared for it. Let me try and get you as much prepared for it as you can be. It's tomorrow, Monday, December 5th, a day that will live in infamy. Two days before Pearl Harbor, as it turns out. For 45 days, this thing's going to be open. So it's not like it has been, where it's just open permanently and kids can go in and come out whenever they want to. It's been restructured. So it's a 45-day window. Then there's going to be another one post-spring. So you got to go in there in these 45 days if you want to move. Hundreds and hundreds of noteworthy names are about to enter this. Notice what I just said. Hundreds of noteworthy names. Thousands of names are going to go in. Hundreds of them that you recognize are going to go in. Not dozens. If you're a hardcore fan, hundreds. Uh, I'm not being hyperbolic there. It's going to be wild. Remember the difference as I'm trying to get you ready for this. There's a difference between legitimate portal entries and dipper entries. The legitimate entries are guys who truly intend to go elsewhere. Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. I don't think he's going back to Georgia Tech. He fully intends to go elsewhere. Not all these kids fully intend to go elsewhere. Some of them are getting in the portal so they can renegotiate deals and they want to stay where they are. They just want to make more money. Those are portal dippers. Um, it's going to be a new term. It's just fresh because it's a new concept. Programs I'm watching starting tomorrow and moving forward. Auburn has head, a new head coach. Anybody who's got a new head coach. Colorado with Dion, um, Wisconsin with Luke Fickle, they're certainly not going to look at their roster and say, yep, just one or two players away. No, they're going to hit that portal hard. Hugh Freeze at Auburn, they're going to hit that portal very hard. Cristobal at Miami will raid this thing. Napier at Florida, they will be a strong player in the transfer portal. Nick Saban is going to cherry pick as he pleases and hopefully they have a little better hit rate this time around. Texas, I'm watching them. TCU, I'm watching. Penn State, producer Jesse, tends to think that Penn State can make some moves at receiver. But the players to watch, on top of the ones already in the portal, DJ Uyangalale, I mean, for example, that is a quarterback. Jesse, am I seeing this right, by the way? He is in the portal. He has made his intentions known to go in the portal. And I got nothing in my ear. Okay, so... I'm watching DJ because it seems imminent, if he's not already in there, that he will be in the portal. He is in the portal. Okay, so, so DJ is probably not going to be at Clemson next year. I don't think that's a shock to anyone because we saw what Kay Klubnick did last night. Where does he go? What kind of program is right for him? Is he a guy that needs to descend to the G5 level? Does he go play at Washington or Oregon or somewhere like that in the Pac-12 and just get closer to home? Drake May at North Carolina. Last night said all the right things after their game. He was asked about the portal, and he, he basically said what a prepared statement would have him say. I don't have any firsthand knowledge that he's going anywhere. There will be very little firsthand knowledge in this whole thing. I want to warn you about that, too. There's not going to be a ton of inside information to be had because the circles are so small, and things can change like that. You could wake up one morning having no intention to go in the portal. And if the right offer gets back-channeled to you, you're in the portal by sundown, and you never even knew it was coming. So if you didn't even know it was coming, how is, how's a reporter at the, at the Dallas newspaper supposed to know it's coming? How is someone at ESPN.com or 247sports.com supposed to know it's coming? So be careful of inside intel out there. 
or Intel posing as being inside in nature. But Drake May, that would be a game changer. If he were to go in, I don't want to speculate wildly like that because I don't know anything. I'm saying Xavier Worthy, wide receiver at Texas, I don't know. There's just been speculation. Will he go in? These are game changers. These are guys who are the differences in games. So that's why we're making a big deal about it. But just things are going to change fast, okay? And on that note, I would also strongly encourage you guys on 247sports.com and, and especially the 247 Sports YouTube channel tomorrow. They're going to be on air all day. I'm even doing an appearance, and I never do that. On 247 Sports, the YouTube channel, they have their own channel. Remember back in the summer, I think it was? We got our own channel, and then there's a new 24-7 sports channel. They will be on live from 10 to 6 tomorrow. That's how historic that day is going to be. They're going to have all the folks in here. Trey Scott's even in town. How about that? It's that time of, it's that time of decade. Hummer's here. I mean, they were, they were in the office earlier. It's going to be very important. I would encourage you, if you remember back in the day what watching coverage of National Signing Day was like, that's what this kind of would be for you. So when you go to work tomorrow, or if you're driving around, just throughout the day, keep that 24-7 Sports YouTube channel pulled up and just keep that feed rolling. They'll be live. I mean, they'll be updating things all day, but it's going to be a very, very useful resource because you're not going to get all the information otherwise. Make sure you're tuned into that. I will be, and I'll be here too. A uh, really good show tonight. It's going to be a busy week. This is the new world that we live in. It's going to be a very busy week. I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we, we wrapped up, what, 16 or 17 weeks on the road, whatever it's been. Um, it's going to be that by the time we get done with the season. And it's good to have you along for the ride, so I appreciate it. Remember, uh, we're going to have a lot, a lot to go over tomorrow. And then Tuesday, you know, we'll have our show. But until then, the only favors I ask, make sure you follow wherever you're listening to the podcast. Make sure you're following there and leaving those reviews. And on the YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe liking the videos. That's it. Everything's free. We want to keep it free. That's how we keep it free. And you know what? If you want to follow me on the socials at Late Kick Josh, I don't forbid that either. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your evening. Take care and God bless. hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.